So having the right tool for the job is very helpful. Um, for instance, if you're trying to take off a rusty bumper and you're using a short ratchet set, you're likely to have bloody knuckles. I don't know if anyone, anyone ever do that before? Yeah, I have. Uh, and it, it's really, really great when it's cold out when you're doing that. On the other hand, if you have a pneumatic-driven, heavy-duty uh, ratchet, you put it on that thing and, and press the button, that's a little easier, unless you strip the head off. That's another matter altogether. Maybe you've had that experience as well. Uh, all of these things are, are fun. Uh, but usually, if you have the right tool, there's a lot less pain and a lot less aggravation. And when it comes to the work of God, uh, He is certain to get His job done. It's, it's not a doubt. Um, he doesn't need to grab the DeWalt or the Bosch. Uh, he can use anything because He's God. People have all kinds of ideas as to how to build a church. But God has called us to trust Him, to proclaim His Gospel, and then to live and order our lives based upon trusting Him in the Gospel. So God has given us clear instruction that revolves around Him as the Master Builder, not us as the Master Craftsman. God has declared through the Lord Jesus Christ, and we mentioned this last week, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. This is a, a promise that God has declared. This is a statement of fact. Uh, and, and you and I can have great confidence in it. And so knowing that God is going to do that helps us as we assess how we operate in this kingdom, this church that God is building. As part of God's work in building His church, He provides us with His supernatural, powerful gifts of grace. As God builds His church, He provides His church with supernatural, powerful gifts of grace. Now, the gifts that God gives are perfect and healthful. James gives us a clear communication about that in James 1.17 where God's Word says this, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God gives these gifts and they're good gifts. They're, they're perfect gifts because they're governed by Him. They're sourced by Him. They're empowered by Him. And He then provides the fruitfulness of these things. This morning, we want to get a glimpse of this concept. God is weaving together His people in a special way to produce fruit within the church and to display His Gospel to the world. So God takes all of these different giftedness, these areas of giftedness, He weaves them together 
so that the church is built up, strengthened, established, pursuing Christ, knowing Christ, resting in Christ. And then, as the church is built up in the faith, that glorious Gospel is put on display to a watching world. And there's a really great way, and there's numerous passages of Scripture, and we're just going to have you think about it a little bit, um, how God uses His people to impact a world around us. You can see it in, say, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, talking about the fact that you know, they may speak against you as evildoers, but, but what, what God is doing as He enables us through His Spirit is He is going to bring to pass a group of people that once spoke ill of Him that on the last day will speak Him praise. God is doing this. And you know, there's a passage in Ephesians chapter 3 that talks about God's wisdom and the grace that God has entrusted to us. And as Paul says, you know, I have this stewardship and, and it's to preach among the Gentiles, the world, the unsearchable riches of Christ. And he talks about how God has lavished this grace upon us. And then in verse 10, he says that the principalities and powers might see the various beautiful ways of God's grace and wisdom. So what God is doing as He works in us, weaving us together with His powerful gifting, is He builds up the church, He puts on us on display to the world, and He puts us on display toward angelic host, whether they be those angelic hosts that are doing God's bidding, or those that are opposing God's will, we're put on display for both sets of these angelic hosts. God is doing something. He's doing something amazing. Sometimes we see what the Lord is doing, but most of the time, we have no clue what God is doing. Most of the time, God is up to something And we don't know exactly what that is within us, immediately around us, and pushing outside of us. We we don't always know, but, but this thing you can know. God is working. God is working. Nothing will stay His hand. Nothing will keep God from accomplishing His plans. This can encourage us and should encourage us as we think about this section of Scripture where God tells us about the, that we have gifts that differ. Uh, in verse 6 of Romans 12 is where we pick up our reading. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in serving, or in our serving. The one who teaches, in his teaching. The one who exhorts, in his exhortation. The one who contributes in generosity. The one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. God is working to accomplish His purposes and He will get this done. There are some important concepts that I want for us to just think about. Now, I'm gonna, I have a, a, a list of six items with Scripture passages. We're not going to go and look at all the Scripture passages this morning. This is not 
necessarily like a, a, you know, a seminary class on the spiritual gifts this morning. Just some thoughts to try to help us to understand a big picture so we can hone in on some parts of it. So some, some important concepts that we should know about God's gifts as we begin. First of all, every believer has at least one way that God gifts them. Every believer has at least one way that God entrusts a spiritual gift to them. Secondly, the gifts are for the good of the church. They're for the common good. Thirdly, the gifts are entrusted to us from God. And the concept there is that of stewardship. God has entrusted spiritual giftedness to you in one way or another, whether it be one or ten. And He's entrusted it to you as a stewardship. Lord, how how do you want to use me? You don't necessarily know. What do you do about when you don't know? You'd be available, right? Here I am, Lord. This is how this chapter starts. It says in verse 1, I have appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So you're available. Lord, here I am. Use me. Number four, the gifts are empowered by God. You can see that in 1 Corinthians 12.6. He doesn't only source them. Oh, here. Now what? No, He empowers them. He gives you and I the ability to operate in accordance with that giftedness. It's not a Rob gift. I don't have my gift. Okay, my gift, and I'm gonna, I, want, I want to put my gift on display today. It's not about this. It's God's gift. It's a spiritual gift. It's His gift entrusted to me for His glory, for the good of the church, and for God's ends. Number five. The gifts cause the church to be equipped for real ministry. One of my favorite passages of Scripture is listed there for you. Ephesians 4, 11-16. That passage ends by talking about how the, the church builds itself up through love. The church. God uses the church to build the church. It's really Him using the church to build the church up. Uh, it's, it's a beautiful thing. Number six, the gifts shine the light on God, not on us. In that passage, we read this last week, I believe, 1 Peter chapter 4.11. You talk about, you know, if, if anyone speaks, let them speak the oracles of God. If anyone you know, serves, let them do it by the strength that God supplies, that, that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. But wait a second. I was the one doing it. Oh, really? (laughs) Not not so much. Because if you're doing it, it's flawed and broken and useless. God's doing it. God supplies the strength. God supplies the ability. And you know what that means? God deserves the glory. And He is glorified in His people. God is glorified. His, His glory is seen, magnified, in His people. It's a, it's a beautiful expression. So as we think about, you know, just those are six concepts about spiritual gifts that are helpful for our consideration. 
ultimately, we have to understand this. These gifts are not for our glory. They're not to be employed in our plans. I'm not independently operating. And I'm not also bogged down. I'm not bogged down trying to figure out how to use this. Or, oh, I have this gift. Now, oh, man, how do I get this done? I've got to figure out you know, seven ways to use this in the next month. It's, it's, not, it's not how it works. It's a spiritual gift. It's His gift. It's His work. What do I want to be? A vessel. Here I am, Lord. Use me. So the Lord can take a lot of bondage off of us as we see this correctly. When we see it incorrectly, it's almost like someone's piling more stuff on your to-do list. And it's like, now what? You know, I've, you know, I've, I've got this gift of, of teaching that I've got to figure out. And you know, I know, I know it. I feel like I must have the gift of mercy. And so I've got to find ways to, to do this. No, <laughs> walk with the Lord. Talk to Him. Read His Word. Listen to Him. Gather together. Worship Him with the church. Worship Him when you're not with the church. The Lord will make it abundantly clear what He wants you to do. You don't have to worry and struggle. God removes this burden from us because it's His work. So ra- rather, you, know, you and I have received mercy upon mercy, and the result of that is we lay our lives out before the Lord, verse 1. God is at work in us. You can see that in verse 2. And He provides us with resources. That's verse 3 of Romans chapter 12. You see how He's, he's laying out a very systematic approach to this. I have saved you from your sin. I've been merciful to you. I am trustworthy. Lay yourself out before me. I will transform you. I will change you. That's verse 2. And I have gifted you a gift of grace. I've given you a measure of faith. I'm doing all of this work. I've I've taken you all these individual pieces, verses 4 and 5, and I've made you one body. And now in verses 6 and following, these gifts. So God does uh, what's amazing and right. He always does. And you know, it might not seem like there's much going on in our ministry, you know, individually or corporately, but the Lord is at work, and that's what we trust. You know, there are four places in the New Testament where God talks about spiritual gifts. You've got Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, and 1 Peter 4. Four locations where these spiritual gifts are listed. And did you know that no two of those lists are identical? Did you know that? So if you take those lists, you, could even, you can approach that concept in one of two ways. You can go through and list, you know, you know chart all of these different things, and now, now I have a full complement of the list because I've got them from Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, and 1 Peter 4. I have this full complement of all of the spiritual gifts. That's one way to look at it. There's also a second way to look at it. There are all kinds of gifts. Here's a sample list in Romans 12. Here's a sample list in 1 Corinthians 12. Here's a sample list in Ephesians 4. Here's a sample list in 1 Peter chapter 4. Maybe, just maybe, there are more spiritual gifts than we know about. 
Does that scare you? Why? Because they're not mine. And they're not yours. They're His. And so I don't need to be afraid that there might be spiritual gifts that aren't listed on a page. What is my job? What what is my call? Here I am, Lord. And where we are, the Lord equips us. He equips us for whatever He puts in front of us. It's His work. This is freeing, friends. We don't have to be in bondage, figuring out, you know, I'm on my 17th spiritual gift survey to figure out which one is mine. You can find them on Google. And now that I know that I have this, that, and the other spiritual gift, this is what I must do now. That's very human. The church is not human. It's comprised of humans, but the church is not human. This is God's body. He's working. And we don't need to figure out every single thing in order for God to get His job done. I just want to be the, that person that says, yes, Lord, I'm ready. Whatever you want to do, here I am. Alright, with that being said, God gives these gifts. They're given by Him. They're empowered by Him. And they're fruitful because of Him. We're going to talk this morning just about the speaking gifts from Romans 12. And we're just going to touch on it. And I want to keep the whole time in our minds the fact that this is God's working and what God wants to accomplish through these gifts. So first of all, these speaking gifts. And we see them listed in verse 6. First of all, he says, having then gifts that differ according to the, the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith. That's the first speaking gift. And then at the end of verse 7, the one who teaches on his teaching or in his teaching. And then the third speaking gift you see at the beginning of verse 8, the one who exhorts in his exhortation. So we'll start with prophecy. Prophecy. What in the world is this thing? Well, we are not going to do an exhaustive look at it. I'm just going to give you some generalities And I think even the generalities will help us to see the benefit of this gift of God. So, prophecy can be described as new revelation. Something that God gives that wasn't revealed before. It can be described as foretelling or prediction. So, you've got the you know, the prophets of the Old Testament always telling us about how the Messiah was going to come, right? And you have the New Testament prophets t- telling us about this expectation of the Lord Jesus' return and all of these kinds of things. Foretelling. And then you have the third category, which is forthtelling. That's just proclamation. And the word can be used that way. So, with that being said, I want to, to put some, some little boundaries on this conversation. I don't believe that you and I are gifted to predict the future. And I don't believe that God gives any new revelation. At the time that Romans was written, the canon of Scripture was not completed, right? 
So they didn't have all of the books of the New Testament all uh, laid out for them. So God was utilizing the apostles and prophets to lay the foundation for the church. You can see it in Ephesians 2 and 1 Peter chapter 2. At any rate, uh, when the gift of prophecy is employed, there are specific purposes for it. And that, that's what we want to recognize for a moment. You're in Romans. Take a, a right to 1 Corinthians 14 just for a moment. 1 Corinthians 14. When this giftedness of God is in operation, when it's utilized, there are some criteria that are important. The prophetic utterance, and again, we're using the term generically, so it could just be a forthtelling. It must do three things. It must build up. It must encourage. And it must console. Verse 3 of 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 3. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their, what does it say? Upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. In other words, the, the, the declaration benefits them. The declaration provides nourishment or enrichment or refreshment. And then it also provides comfort in the midst of life's many battles. We can further refine this concept of this proclamation by talking about the fact that it must be in proportion to our faith. That's how uh, Romans 12.6 ends. It must be done in proportion to our faith. And the word actually in in the Greek basically is analog, analogy. It's um, the, the, the word logia, which is word or thought. Analog of faith. Analogy of faith. So in other words, what comes out in this proclamation must meet the criteria that it, that it is in cooperation and in coordination with the rest of what God has revealed in the faith. Because there's an article before faith in the Greek, meaning it's the faith, not just generic faith or your faith. It's in proportion to the faith. It's in light of the faith. And so when a proclamation comes forth from a pulpit, from a Bible study, through a text message or an email, you're listening on YouTube, you're watching on Sermon Audio, whatever your intake is, it must come under the scrutiny of, does this meet the rest of the Scriptures? Is this something that's outside of the norms of what God has revealed in Scripture? So how do we know that that's important? Well, listen to just a few verses of Scripture that will help to to give this some some rooting in our minds. First of all, in 1 John chapter 4, in verse 1, the Apostle John said this, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. How will I know? Well, he goes on to say, if anyone proclaims Jesus Christ as Lord, you know that came from, from the Spirit. That's not, you know, people don't proclaim Christ as Lord from another spirit. 
Uh, in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, the Bible says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. In other words, if God has some really special message for you, right? But yet, it doesn't match up with what's here. Something's wrong. Right? So if someone starts you know, talking and says, hey, God spoke to me, automatically you're ready to say, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm out. <laughs> no. Thus saith the Lord. That's the spirit of prophecy. This is what God says. How, how do you know? Well, it says it right here. 1 Corinthians or Colossians chapter 3 or uh, Ezekiel 13. Or whatever the case may be. You're looking at the Scriptures. Thus saith the Lord. That's the authority. Not me. Not you. Not your experience. Not this voice that you heard. No. Thus saith the Lord. It comes from the Scripture. Um, and and it, I think this, this really is the bottom line here. This is one of those Sunday school answers right now. Or one of those uh, Bible 101. Ready? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for what? Teaching. What else? For reproof. For correction. For training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so, what is the source of, of the articulation or proclamation? The, the, the source is the Word of God. So the, if someone is going to speak, 1 Peter chapter 4, let him speak the oracles of God. Let him speak what God has already spoken. So this God utilizes this gift. He used it in the first century in one way. Today, if this gift is, is for today, it's that we're telling people what God has declared already. This is how I look at it. This is just my, I'm a very simple person. If, if God has said it in the Word, I don't need some prophetic utterance to tell me it, right? Because it's already there. Alright? If you are telling me you have a prophetic utterance and it's not in the Word, I reject it. Because it's not in the Word. So... Next. <laughs> so with regard to prophecy in the 21st century in the church, we're, we're simply telling forth the glories of God as is seen in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And the short, here's the short answer, it's the Gospel. We testify of the Gospel, of God's goodness to save sinners like me and sinners like you from our brokenness and the consequence of our sin that would result in separation from God and eternal judgment. And God has removed the penalty of that sin forever. The condemnation associated with that sin forever through Jesus Christ for everyone that calls upon the name of the Lord. That's, there's a good prophecy. Declaring the truth of the gospel. So this is one of the speaking gifts. There's a lot more to this. There's a lot longer conversation. I think that's enough touching on it for now. Second speaking gift would be that of teaching. Didascalia is the teaching. 
um, then the, the verb form is to, 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 to proclaim, to, to teach. Teaching provides a foundation upon which people can, can set their feet theologically. A, a foundation for us to stand on in the midst of a world that demonstrates everything as upside down and backwards. You know, it's the, it's the Isaiah 5 they call what's sweet bitter, and they call what's bitter sweet. But God has given us a foundation upon which to stand that doesn't allow the tides of our society and the waves of our society that beat upon us to remove us from our moorings. We're established in the faith. So let's think about this for a couple of moments. Take a look at Ephesians chapter 4. So... The one who teaches is to do so, is to utilize, uh, is to be employed in the teaching of God's Word to, to solidify people, to give them a foundation upon which to stand. And this is illustrated very well in Ephesians chapter 4. In verse 11, God gives these gifts, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. What are they doing in verse 12? They're equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry. Why? So that the body of Christ is built up. In verse 13, we're to do this until we reach the full measure of, of Christ-likeness. <laughs> Alright. <laughs> it hasn't happened yet. <laughs> It'll happen one day because God is going to make it happen when He glorifies us perfectly. So in other words, these things are enduring realities. We need, we need to keep pressing into this Teaching and learning and growing and being built up because we're not glorified yet. Verse 14. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. And so he's giving us this instruction. Give this teaching so that people aren't knocked over every time some new philosophy comes along. Rooted. Grounded. You know, there's this passage, and I, I love it. Because it's helpful for someone. When I think of me, I don't know, I, don't, I, I have no idea what you think of me. And I, I probably would be better off not knowing most things you think about me. But I am very simple. In, in my mind, I'm very, it's like, I'm single focused. Uh, like, I'm very repetitive. I know all of these things about myself. There are some things that God gives us as a little, a little nugget and you can kind of just latch on to it. And, and 2 Corinthians 11.3 is one of those. It's on, it's on the screen for you. He says, But I fear, lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Over the course of time, a lot of complication comes in to a believer's life as they try to figure out new and niftier ways to say things and new and niftier ways to do things. It's ingrained in us to figure these kinds of things out. It's who we are. And God says to you, and He says to me, don't be deceived 
And don't think you're going to find the new and nifty way for the 21st century church that no one's ever thought of before. And now you'll be like the, the church on the block. No. Don't be swayed from the simplicity that is found where? In Christ. Faith comes by what? Hearing. And hearing through what? The Word of Christ. Um, let the Word of what dwell in you? Christ. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you how? Richly or abundantly. What's the result? You'll be teaching and admonishing one another. This will happen because God's Word about Christ will reside within your minds and you'll recognize there's no other way. There's no other direction. There's no other methodology. There's nothing new under the sun. Because I'm, I've been saved for 30 years doesn't mean I found a new and niftier way to walk with God. No, it's all based upon the work of Christ and we rest there. We rest there. And from that rest, God does work in us and through us. And it is a glorious thing. God has gifted His church with teachers. Um, they, they don't just teach about the Word of Christ from behind the pulpit. You go into a counseling room and and what is being applied? The Word about Christ. And then an email comes in and what what is the response? It's the Word about Christ. And a text comes in and what's the counsel like? It's the Word about Christ. It's that again and again and again. And so people might say, well, this is very repetitive. Yes. Look. Look at it. This is not my Word. This is the Word of God. Don't be corrupted. Don't be swayed. Don't be moved from the Word of Christ or the simplicity that's found in Christ. And Paul says it this way in Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. It's another beautiful passage. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith as you have been taught what, what were you being taught? To be rooted and grounded and established in whom? In Christ. See, this is not some new thing. This is the words that God has given to us. And He's, he's called us to train one another. To remind one another. Don't be swayed. Don't let the currents of time and the currents of society and and the winds that blow in change your thinking to think in some other direction. You and I, we both need to be reminded of the sufficiency of God through Jesus Christ. He's given us what we need. So there's prophecy proclaiming Christ, right? And there's teaching, teaching Christ. And then there's exhortation. That's the third of the speaking gifts listed back in Romans Chapter 12, and the one who exhorts in his exhortation is the concept that is brought to pass. There are several facets of this word. The New Testament uses the word exhortation 109 times. That's just the the, um, verb form. There's more when you start looking at the noun forms of it. But 109 times the word exhort is brought forth. And it has a, a shade of meanings. You see them on, on the screen there. To comfort, to plead, to invite, to encourage. 
One of the calls that God has given to you and I as we gather together is that we would encourage one another. Now, this is a familiar passage to many of us, but listen to what it says in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. God's Word says, "...and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some." Now, what does he say? "...but encouraging one another..." and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You know, it's almost like he's telling you and I to invite one another to experience how joyful it is to know God. Come. Taste. Come. See. See what? The goodness of the Lord. Have you experienced the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living? Here you are. You're alive. Have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good? So we've experienced that. And so as part of the word of encouragement, the gift of encouragement, we we remind one another because, you know, we go through so many things in life and some of our days are tough. Some of the things that we experience are tough. Not for the faint of heart, right? We lose loved ones. We, we receive a diagnosis. We experience physical pain. Much worse than that, we experience mental anguish. All of these things we experience. And we come along one another, come alongside of one another, and we remind each other of the goodness of the Lord as we navigate through this life. It's really an important concept. I want you to turn to one last Scripture passage. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. There are times that we're beaten and weary from the challenges of this life. And where better do we find refreshment than among God's people? We should be lifting one another's burdens much more rather than laying down another burden on people. I don't know if you've experienced that. I I hope not. I know there are times that we, we come to someone and we try, you know, we're in a difficult spot and we, we want, we kind of bear our souls to them and they give us some, some other reason to feel more bondage or more uh, helpless or hopeless. And what I, what I want to, to be, what I want to do is to always help people to recognize how good God is, even in the face of difficulty. This difficulty we face, maybe every day, and maybe it's enduring, it's only for a short while. Glory is coming. Glory is coming. There's so much to encourage people with in the Scriptures. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and verse 11. Paul says, Therefore encourage one another, And build one another up just as you are doing. Look down at verse 14. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Oh, Be patient with them all. God encourages you and I to encourage one another. You know what? This is also a gifting. 
These are grace gifts. It's not like, oh, all right, now I, 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 I have this instruction on what prophecy is or what teaching is or what exhortation is, and so now I'm just gonna I'm gonna go get my fingers dirty in this. No. These are grace gifts. You're not like left to your own resources to figure out how to do this. So may I encourage you before you make that phone call, Lord, I don't know how so-and-so is doing. I don't know what they need. Let me please be a vessel. Give me your grace that I might encourage them. Before you make that visit, Lord, I don't know what your plans are when I go and see so-and-so. Help me to be an encouragement. Before you respond to that email or that text message or that Facebook Messenger message or whatever other item that you use, before you answer, put yourself, lay yourself out before the Lord. Lord, I want to answer rightly in a way that encourages, that points people to You, that helps them to sense Your kindness and mercy. Now next week, we're going to consider the theme of thanksgiving. And the week after that, we're going to continue on with our study of these gifts. I had some other things I wanted to mention, but I think our our time is about up. But let, let me move lightning speed. I'm not going to share the Scripture references. You'll see them. But we're talking about speaking gifts. And I want us to know this about words. Words are powerful. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Words can do damage. James chapter 3 talks about our tongues like a fire that can light the place aflame. Words can be grace-filled. My favorite verse on that is Colossians 4.6, but of course, uh, its, it's uh, cousin is Ephesians 4.29. Words can be grace-filled. But I want to focus just for a moment on words can be from God. Look at that verse of Scripture. I'm going to read it in just a moment, but I want, I want to let that sit in your mind for a moment. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making His appeal through us. What does He eventually say? Be reconciled to God. Be made right with God. Be at peace with God. Have your sins removed. Have Jesus' righteousness added. Be reconciled to God. But I want you to recognize that right in the middle of it, God making His appeal through us. God uses a guy like me and a girl like you, a teenager like you, a man like you, a woman like you, a 20-year-old, a 50-year-old, a 70-year-old. doesn't matter what your age is. doesn't matter what you look like. God making His appeal through us. But what is the content? Be reconciled to God. How? Through Christ. It's the Word of Christ. It's sufficient. It's saving. It's refreshing. Now, we've been given the privilege of being vessels of God and His eternal work. You know, God might grab the DeWalt or He might grab the Royobi. I don't even know if that's how you say it. That's what it looks like. 
I don't know what he's going to grab. I have no idea whether you know, the Lord might use me like a, like a chisel or a scalpel. Or he might use me like an ice pack. You ever need one of those? Oh, my neck. Throw an ice pack on that thing. Some of the inflammation needs to go down. I don't know how he's going to use me. I don't have to figure it all out either. He's the master builder. He's the craftsman. It's His workmanship that we've been made. We're His work of art. You know, I've bought so many tools over the years, but there are lots of hands in my house. So I've probably lost or misplaced, I don't know, more, more tools than I can even think about. You know, I've, I've gone out into the backyard a couple times, and like there's this like rusty old thing out there. I'm like, man, I, I think I spent some money on that thing. You know, with God, He always knows where His tools are. He always knows what the right tool is for every job. And what is He working on? What's He working on? What's He trying to accomplish? He's redeeming or saving people like me and people like you. He's working. There's, you know, there's no work that endures like God's work. So when we're talking about all these things, and you know, maybe, maybe you get lost in the shuffle of so many words that come out of my mouth, and I don't want you to lose focus. You know, you, you, you have all our careers will come to an end, right? All of our physical lives will come to an end. But the work of God will never come to an end. When God saves a person, He saves them eternally. So what we're talking about, about being involved in God's work and God utilizing His, His gifts in us and through us, we're talking about something that's going to endure the test of time. This eternal salvation that is offered to people in the Scriptures, that's what we're offering to them. I might ask you this question as we close. Have you experienced that eternal salvation that God has offered? If you were to stand before God today, if you breathe your last breath today, and you stand before God, will you spend eternity with Him? Alright, you've come up with your answer. I would ask you a second question. Why? Why will you spend eternity with Him? If the first thing that comes to your mind is I, I don't have good news for you. If the first word that comes to your mind is Christ, hallelujah. Christ died for sinners like me. God sent His Son into the world to redeem those who are broken. We could list countless Scripture passages. But the answer to the question about whether I've tasted that Jesus, or whether I know that I have eternal life, the, the answer starts and finishes with the work of God through Jesus Christ. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, if you don't know, we want to help you. We want to help you. When we're all done singing the last song, come on up to the front. There'll be people standing around, milling about, maybe talking with someone else. Just come up to the front. We'd be glad to show you from the Scriptures how you can be sure you have eternal salvation. That you know you'll spend eternity with God. And the answer to that question will revolve around God's work 
through Jesus Christ. This is what we proclaim. This is what we believe. And this is what we want to live our lives in accordance with. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for all You've done. Thank You for Your grace in our lives. Bringing us to Yourself through the work of Jesus Christ. Help us that we would be vessels fit for Your use. Use us to accomplish Your perfect and glorious plan. We know You're going to accomplish it. We want to be those that lay ourselves out before You to be used by You. In Jesus' name, Amen.